here we are in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read beginning at verse number 13. We'll just read down through uh, verse 18, I think. He says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, in in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And we can stop at that point. And let's bow for a word of prayer together. Gracious Father, we want to ask for your help, knowing that we need it. Um, Lord, our minds, our hearts are often distracted. Uh, We're often dull of hearing. And Lord, um, this is so important to us that we, we really want to pray that you would help us to really focus our thoughts, our attentions upon you, and that you would, Lord, use it to speak to us, to help us. And Father, I pray especially if there's somebody listening today that is not born again, they don't know the Lord, Uh, Lord, it's so vital and so important that they hear carefully the gospel and that they would be saved. And so we pray for that. And Lord, maybe there's some today that are what we might call backslidden and out of fellowship with you. And we pray for them that they would turn their heart back to you again with a full (coughs) repentance, a full heart of desire to to be in fellowship with you once more. And Lord, just please have your way upon us. And help me, I I need your grace to preach. We thank you that you grant these things, Lord, as you promise in your word. And so we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going, this is, uh, you know, it's funny, when I sit down to write a sermon... Of course, I study and meditate on these verses and think about it. And usually, my mind just sort of works its way through all of the words and verses. But this time, um, so many other things, just sort of connecting verses, come to mind. And I might just make a mention that, for those of you, perhaps, if you're new kind of to studying the Bible, um, one very, very helpful thing is a lot of Bibles will often give you a cross-reference. Sometimes you'll see them in the middle column in your Bible or somewhere like that. Now, my Bible doesn't have any of those. Maybe you don't. But there are helpful uh, tools out there, such as, um, of course, now you can get so many electronic things. I have a Bible program that has, um, it's just initial TSK, that stands for the Treasury of Scriptural Knowledge. It was a, it was a, it's basically a book of cross-references. 
that when you click on one verse, it will give you other verses that deal with the same subject. And um, I have another Bible I use a lot when I study, and that's the Thompson Chain Reference Bible that gives you, again, many, many other places in the Bible where the same subjects are... Uh, and you can take those scriptures and compare them and new thoughts and things like that. So um, if you're not familiar with that kind of uh, thing, then it's a tool that is available to you uh, through several means, and I would encourage you to find it out and, and to look those things up. Um, anyway, my mind sometimes cross-references things, and I thought about just different, different verses, different things, and some of them I have to look up. Um, one I want to, we're going to, so we're going to turn quite a bit in our Bibles today, all right? I know a lot of times I do the work for you, and you get kind of lazy and, and so on, and just joy sitting there slumbering. Uh, today I'm not going to allow you to do that, okay? So uh, I need you to turn with me. Turn, first of all, to uh, Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 13, Jeremiah chapter 13. And I want you to find verse number 23, and as soon as I find that, I'll read it for you. Now, sometimes I'll read verses for you, or I'll print them in my notes, but I thought it was important that you just look at this so you can think upon it for a few minutes while we spend a little time here. In chapter 13 and verse number 23, there's an interesting little statement here that kind of asks a question, um, even though I don't, oh there, I was going to say I don't see a question mark, but now I do. Uh, it asks a question, and there's an implied answer that should be pretty obvious. He says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Now, um, probably an Ethiopian would be a man or a person, a man or a woman, with black skin, right? And can they, do, can they do anything about that? Well, the obvious answer is no. Um, we are born with whatever skin we have. And, you know, I know that this, it seems like a, it's funny that, it, well, no, it's not funny. It's sad that this is a touchy subject sometimes. People get all on pins and needles when you talk about skin color. Uh, God only made one race, by the way. We are all of one race. There aren't different races. There's the human race. Whether your skin is dark or light uh, does not change that. We are all human. We're all made in the image of God. And that's why racism is a, it's a, it's a wrong, it's a wickedness. And it's, it's terrible that it happens in the world, but it does. But it definitely should not happen in Christianity. All right, that was not the point I wanted to make. The point of this is that um, can a, the question, can an Ethiopian change his skin? And of course the answer would be, well, no. Uh, or can the leopard change uh, his spots? Can the leopard change his spots? Again, no. It reminds me of the verse um, when Jesus was kind of telling people to uh, by you know, it doesn't help you to worry. Is essentially, he says, by can you by taking thought add one cubit to your stature, right? Or um, you know, add hair to your head. Some of you wish you could, but you know, you can't. It's you know, there's no point in 
thinking about it, worrying about it, because you can't do anything about it. Now, let's get back and look at what this verse is actually saying. He says, Can an Ethiopian change his skin, or a leopard his spots? And the answer being no. Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to doing evil. Do you, do you get the point of that yet? So, he says, if you are accustomed to doing evil, if you are somebody who is bent towards sin, and may I just say, that's all of us. We are all there. We can no more change that than an Ethiopian could change his skin or a leper his spots. We, we are born with a sinful nature. And it, none of us by willpower or by any kind of uh, mental gymnastics or any sort of 12-step program or anything can we really affect that or do anything about that of ourselves. Uh, there's some other scriptures I was thinking about. Um, I don't remember if I printed them or if I was going to make you turn to them. But you remember how... Uh, well, no, actually, I think I did print it out here. I see it in Peter. I was thinking of Proverbs, but Peter quotes it. He says about the false professors. He says, But it hath happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to wallow to wallowing in the mire. And again, the nature of these animals, you can wash up the hog, <laughs> and uh, you turn him loose, he's going to go right back to the mud. Do you understand that? Um, just like it might be in the nature of a dog to, well, you know what they do, I'm not going to say. But, uh, you know, those things are, to you and I, would be disgusting, but that's just their nature. They have no problem with that. That's what they just do automatically, just instinctively. And so what I'm trying to help you to see is that um, we are, as sinners, we are instinctively just prone and bent and drawn to sin. And we cannot change that in and of ourselves. Now, you say, well, yeah, you have... You call this a cross-reference. This doesn't seem like anything like we were talking about in Galatians. Well, in Galatians, we've been learning that salvation is not by works of the law. And so you can, you can have somebody that's bent on, and by nature, a sinful person. Uh, what's, how does he say it here? Um, accustomed to do evil. And you can impose an external law upon them, but that external law will not change the nature of the person. And we are, now again, laws are not bad, we need them. I forget, I remember hearing Adrian Rogers, some of you may know that name, I, I heard him years ago, I, can't, I don't know if I can quote him exactly, but he said, you cannot legislate morality. And then he went on to say, therefore we have to legislate against immorality, but we cannot legislate morality. Do you understand that? Um, you can make the law, and the law may restrain you to a point. But all of us, when we think we can get away with it, we'll break it. 
And so, um, external laws and religion cannot do what's necessary for us. And that's the folly of external religion. That's the folly of the Pharisees. Jesus said to them in Matthew uh, 23, He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and the, of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excesses. He goes on to say, Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. And you know how he called them whited sepulchers. Beautiful on the outside, but full of dead man's bones. And that's really a very picturesque description of, of the human. We may dress up with uh, religion, we may dress up with outward goodness, but all of us have inwardly a heart that is sinful. And therefore, law cannot affect it. Go now, please, to uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we'll start with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Wow, isn't that a wonderful statement. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now that phrase at the end of that verse is simply a description of somebody who has been born again. If we are saved, we are to walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let's read on, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see then there in verse 3 that the law could not, law could not change us. The law could not really redeem us. The law could not uh, save us. Why? Because it was weak through the flesh. Really, the weakness is not in the law. The weakness is in our flesh. We are not capable of keeping all of its commands. And therefore, God sent His Son. In the likeness of sinful flesh, He wasn't a sinful man, but He came in our likeness. We were created in His likeness, and He came in our likeness to die for our sins. So, righteousness might be fulfilled in us. Look back for a moment at chapter 7 and verse 14. And I, When I read this verse, I think here, here's the problem about the law and us. He says, for we know, this is 7.14 Romans, for we know that the law is what? spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. There's, there's the problem when you think about it. Is the law bad? No, the law is, is spiritual and it's good. 
the bad part is me. I can't because I'm not spiritual. I'm carnal. Until Christ makes me uh, alive spiritually. So this becomes important in our study because as we go back now to Galatians chapter 5, we see here that we are free, but we are free not to live in sin. We are free to live a, a righteous life. He talks a lot about the flesh. Um, you know, remember back to just our first verse, verse 13? Uh, don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. So let's, let's just define that word for a moment. When you see the word in the Scriptures, the flesh, it can refer to a couple of things. It, it does sometimes refer just simply to your physical body. You know, we're, we're flesh and bone, right? Flesh and blood, sometimes we say. Um, so it refers to that. It, it said this when uh, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He was talking about the resurrection. He quoted, a, he quoted the psalm, David said, uh, His soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. And that's talking about his body. His body didn't decay. But he arose bodily from the grave. In a broader sense, um, the term flesh speaks of our mortality, our humanness. In contrast to, you know, man and God, or, you know, they're different creatures. We're, we're mortal, he is immortal. Uh, for example, we saw back in uh, Romans 8, God sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Or in Romans 1, verse 3, concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. It's just talking about He became man. He, he became a human. And I know that's that thing where our brains get a little bit tied in knots. He was fully man and fully God. And how do, you, how do you put those together? We, we just, by faith, that's how. So, um, later in chapter 3 of Romans, he said, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in, him, in his sight. So, flesh is referring to humanity, to mankind, to us in our mortal nature. And within that mortal nature is that sin, that fallenness. God created man in his own image, but we know that Adam and Eve fell, and there they, um, you know, sin entered into the world by one man and death by sin. So, so when we see the fall, we see man now, from then on, has this nature of sinful uh, evil. And that's what we are in our flesh. So, I could, I could draw that out even more. I think you got the point. We are mortal. We are human. Which is not only in contrast to divine and God, but it's, on, it's often contrast to spiritual. Um, I, I was going to have you say in Romans and I forgot to, so I won't make you turn back to it. 
But you know, Paul talks about being um, in his flesh dwells no good thing, and that sort of thing. And and so let me let me have let me I'll do it this way. Go to um, first no yeah First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. I need some volunteers to help me. Can I get Josh and Cameron? Could you guys come up here? Thomas, can you come up here too? Please? I won't make you say anything. I just want you to stand, okay? Okay, Cameron right here. Josh, Thomas, you can face them. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There's three guys described here. Alright? I'll show them to you. Verse... Verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But, here's the first one. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Alright? So he says there's a natural man. That's this guy right here. <laughs> the natural man. Now, I'll, I'll explain who he is in a moment. Now, look down at verse, or chapter 3, verse 1. He says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. So there's two other guys. There's the natural man over here. There is... I should switch these guys around. <laughs> there is uh, the spiritual man. And there's the carnal man. Okay? Now, what is that, what is that talking about? Well, the natural man receives not the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. This is the, this is the unsaved man. Sorry, Cameron's been saved. Uh, and he is not a natural man, but, but he has to represent him right now. So, before you were saved, you, all of us were just a natural... You know, we were born of the flesh, we're just natural men. Now, when you get saved, you are... The Bible says you were quickened, you were made alive spiritually, and you become a spiritual person. And those who are saved, Josh, you could do that guy in there. Um, <laughs> and you better, you better live up to it. Alright, so uh, he is the spiritual man. So we have an unsaved man, we have a saved man. Now, what's the other guy? Who's this one over here? The carnal man. <laughs> Well, if you see verse 1 of chapter 3 again, he talks to him as brethren. So actually, this man's saved too. However, he's not being spiritual. He's being carnal. He said, I can't talk to you like a spiritual man because you're carnal, you're a babe in Christ, you're immature, and you're, you're not living the spiritual life. Those are the three categories. We could all, all of the church could be divided into those three categories. If, if I was to say to you, get up and line up behind whichever one you are, you'd have to try to determine where you're at. Are you an unsaved man? Are you a spirit-filled man? Are you a Christ, Christian but carnal? Just not really living spiritually. Alright, thank you guys. You can go sit down. So, those are the three categories. Now, I hope today everybody sticks with me because I'm kind of like, you know, remember when you were a kid and you get those pictures, they have dots and you have to connect the dots and finally you see the whole picture, right? I always thought that was good because I could never draw unless I had some dots to follow. 
And then I could actually make a picture. But I want you to put these dots together as we go through this. So, um, let's, let's go back to Galatians now and think about this. I want to show you how this all kind of fits together. Because with that sort of foundation, I think this can really be clear to you. He says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. So he's talking to Christians. And he said, You're called to liberty. You've been set free. We're free in Christ. We're, we talked about last week, we're free from the condemnation of the law. There is now, therefore, not, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We're free from that guilt. We're free from the bondage of trying to uh, work our way and somehow to appease God by our works. Because none of that, none of that was successful. But by faith, now we are free. And we're free to not sin, though. Here's the thing we have to understand. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Because just like there was the natural man, he is, he's that one who can't change his spots. He's just sinful. There's the spiritual man. Um, but that flesh is still here. You know, as long as we're in these bodies, we still have that old nature. But if He can, through the Spirit of God, crucify the old man, put away the old man, live and walk in the Spirit, then He can be spiritual. If He doesn't do that, He's going to be carnal. And what some Christians do is they make occasion. They uh, Now, I don't know, how do I illustrate this? I'm not going to ask you if you're on a diet, but sometimes we go on these diets, right? And, you know, um, last Sunday we had, a, we had a cookout for the Burks. And we had Smokies and we had pasta salad and I forget what all we had, chips and stuff. And that may not be part of your diet, right? I, I know some were out there that actually are on a, uh, uh, is it keto or whatever, one of these kind of diets. And those things don't fit. But, you know, sometimes you say, well, this is an occasion where we can, we can break our diet. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a special occasion. It's a birthday. You can have some cake. It's a certain, uh, now for some of us, it's like, as long as there's cake or ice cream ball, it's always a special occasion. <laughs> so the diet's out the window, you know, as soon as it comes up. But... But we make provision, we make an occasion, we give ourselves an allowance. And what he's saying there is, you know, you've been set free, but don't, take, don't think that freedom gives you an allowance to just sin. Just because you've been freed from the condemnation of that sin, that does not present an occasion for you to just sin then. And so we cannot do that. We should not do that. And we don't have to do that. If we're spiritually alive, then what the law could not do, externally, the Spirit within us can do. He can change us and give us power over that old nature. We are not free to ignore the commands or the will of God 
and to live it however we choose. If anyone here thinks that, you know, the gospel of grace, that we're saved by uh, grace through faith, and it's not of works, which is, that's, that is the gospel, and praise God for it. But if you think that that means that we can just ignore God's commands and live however we want, that is just as unscriptural and just as misleading as those who teach salvation by works. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. Paul pronounces a damnation on both. You remember he said, let him be accursed who preached the gospel of works. But in Romans 3, verse 8 it says, and not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just. So we, we don't have an occasion. We don't have any right to just live for the flesh. Now verse 16 is the key. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, that's, that's the key. The law could not change your flesh, your nature. But the Holy Spirit does. And when we walk in the Spirit, we're that spiritual man. We don't give in to the carnal appetites of the flesh. In verse 22 and verse 23, we'll get to these again later, but he he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it would be a good idea to memorize them. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. But notice the last phrase. Against such, there is no law. Right? I mean, why would you make a law against those things? That's what the Spirit of God produces in us. I, was, I looked up, uh, just, I was thinking about illustrating that, and I, and I typed in uh, weird, or I forget what the word I use, some but you ever see those strange and outdated laws sometimes? And I found that there was a law in Oshawa. There's a law that you cannot climb trees. That's literally a law, apparently, on the books in that city. On municipal property, you're not allowed to climb a tree. Now, you may have to give that law to a 10-year-old boy. But that law is not necessary for my life. Because she would just never climb a tree. You don't need to give her that law because she's not going to climb trees. Am I right? You are correct. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not necessary. And when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we really, the laws are not necessary simply because He He empowers us, He motivates us, He puts in us the desire to fulfill God's law. So you don't need the external law to tell you because the internal Spirit of God is just simply leading you to fulfill those things to begin with. It doesn't do away with the law. It doesn't mean that those laws no longer exist. Those laws are still there and we are still under the moral laws of God. Those moral, what is right and wrong is still right and wrong. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Those things still Every one of us are accountable to them. 
We should keep them. But if we are filled with the Spirit, we are going to. Because He, you know, the, the moral law, the law of God is just simply the, the nature of God expressed. You know, that's that God is, that's, that's who He is. God is truthful. And therefore, lying is a sin. Did you ever think about the fact that God did not give the law until He had delivered them out of Egypt? He didn't give them the law to work their way out of Egypt. He brought them out of bondage and then He gave them the law as a framework of how to relate to Him. And so when we read the Scriptures and these, the commands and the will of God that we find in the Word of God, that's simply the framework of how we can it really is, it, it actually goes hand in hand with how we can be filled with the Spirit. Because, you know, the temptations to break those commands, the temptation to live outside of the will of God, to fulfill, those, the, our, our nature, that old flesh, still has that propensity to, uh, you know, it's like ice cream. It's, you know, when, you, when it's there, you want to eat it. And, and when the temptation to do that thing, you want to, but, but you know, your diet says no, and and when, when there's those temptations to sin, I'm not, I'm not saying ice cream is a sin, I, I'm, but I'm saying that uh, those appetites of our carnal flesh, when they present themselves, there's still something in us that goes, ooh, remember that? But the Spirit says, no, that's not, that's not helpful. That's not good. That's not the will of God. And then there's this struggle. Didn't you see it in verse 17? For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. You see the struggle? So how do you get filled with the spirit? Well, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit indwelt you. Everyone who's saved. 100% of saved people have the Holy Spirit. But... You know, I've said it this way, and when you hear a clever way, you usually use that because it's better than what you could come up with. Um, I always think of the when I read somewhere about D.L. Moody, and I've said it many times, so just endure my repeated uh, illustrations. But somebody wanted to, you know, they were going to have a big meeting, they wanted a preacher. Who do we get? They said D.L. Moody, and somebody was a little bit jealous, I think, because Moody had been famous. He was, you know, God used that man. If you don't know. The story of D.L. Moody, you should read it. God used him in a just a miraculous way. But anyway, someone said, well, let's get Moody. And some jealous man said, Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. And the guy said, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. Do you see the difference? You see... To be filled, all of us have the Holy Spirit. But you know, the Bible talks about sins against the Holy Spirit. There is what the Bible calls quenching the Spirit. He says, quench not the Spirit. And the word quench has the idea just like pouring water on a fire. So when there's this struggle, when your flesh is lusting, it's desiring against the Spirit, and the Spirit is desiring you to go in a different direction than your flesh, but we pour water on the Holy Spirit, we quench Him. 
And we then stoke the fire of the flesh. And that's how we get the carnal man. And so we're to be filled with the Spirit. To allow Him. In other words, when that struggle happens, we pour water on the flesh, we, we say no to the carnal desire, and we say yes to the Spirit. Are you with me still? All right. So, it's important that we do that. Let me, let me show it to you. This is a good verse to just know, so I'll make you see it. It's Ezekiel. In chapter 11. Ezekiel in chapter 11. We talked about the external law could not change our spots, our sinful nature. But notice what he tells them in Ezekiel 11 and verse number 19. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Ezekiel 11:19, And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, that stubborn heart. And I will give them a heart of flesh, a heart of, you know, not stone, but soft. That's what God does when you got saved. Do you recognize the change? You know, I was thinking about this. If you think that the liberty of, that you, somebody has in Christ is liberty to sin, to just do whatever the flesh wants, think about this for, for a minute, then you don't need Christ. Right? Because the world gives you that liberty. All you need is 21st century Canadian society and they condone every sin you want to do anyway. There's nowadays in our society, you know, there used to be the constraints of society. You just didn't do these things, at, not, at least not in public. Now you can do them all openly and nobody's going to ever chastise you for it. So if all you want is liberty to live carnally, well, the world has that every day. But he puts in us a new heart. Now, he says, I'll, I will take their stony heart and I'll give them... Uh, a heart of flesh. Verse 20, here's the result. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. So God gives us a new heart for the purpose that we might walk in His statutes and do His will. Alright, we're going to close this out. But back to Galatians and we'll close. Let me point out something just as we conclude our thoughts today. Walking in the Spirit means denying and crucifying the flesh, as we saw in verse 17. But let's, let me show you something as we uh, look at the end of verse 13, 14, 15. He says, We don't have an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Isn't this interesting? Even this and this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What's the first fruit of the Spirit in um, verse 22? It's love, isn't it? Another way the Spirit of God changes us and makes us keep 
our commandments, His commandments, is He puts within us the love of God. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, the Bible says. And do you understand what He's saying here? That the commandments are fulfilled in this one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love your neighbor, you don't sin against your neighbor. It's as simple as that. If you really love them, if you lie to them, if you cheat on them, if you steal from them, you do not love them. The reason we do those things is because we love us. We want what we want. But when you love your neighbor, you'll go out of your way to help them. You'll, you'll do what the Lord would want you to. Now, we know that's, that's the commandments that are man-word. There's other commandments that are God-word. And, and Jesus said the two greatest commandments, actually the greatest, was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And if you keep those two commandments, you have all the... Uh, the commandments toward your fellow man you fulfill because you love them and all the commandments toward God you fulfill because you love Him and you put Him first. But when you were this natural man, like Cameron here, sorry, no, no. But, you know, when you were the natural man, you didn't, love, you didn't, you didn't really love your neighbor. You say, well, I, I did. Well, to a degree, maybe we do but not to the degree that God allows us to love. Honestly, I think a lot of you would agree with me. I really did not know how to love until I got saved. I can say that totally. I, I really didn't. I knew how to lust. I knew how to uh, get what I wanted. I knew how to manipulate people. I knew how to, uh, you know, work the system. I knew how to do all those things, but I didn't really know how to love somebody. And not only love... And, you know, when he says love your neighbor, did, I put that article in the paper this week about the good Samaritan. Um, the Samaritans were those that they didn't love. You know, Jesus said, if you love your enemy, I mean, excuse me, if you love your friends, those who love you back, well, yeah, that's nice, but everybody does that. But if you can love your enemy, if you can love those that hate you and persecute you and pray for them, okay, now, now we're talking, that's the kind of love God gives us. He says, um, verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed. If you're going to live that way, you'll probably get consumed. Alright, so friends, we'll close. If you're here, and in, in your mind, you said, Okay, I've got to line up behind one of these guys. And I'm not going to make you do it because you might not, you might cheat. But you know and God knows, if you really had to get in line, which, which one would you get behind? Are you the natural man? Lost without Christ? Trying to live under this external law but never able to keep it? Because there's no spiritual life within? Or are you the carnal Christian, saved but you're immature, not growing, not uh, really loving like you should, not yielding to the Spirit of God. 
Or how many of us here could get behind this one, the spiritual man? I'm not going to ask you to tell me which one, but you, you think about which one. And if it's not the, the spiritual man, then maybe we should spend a little time in prayer. Let's stand together.